0: Welcome to Scottsdale, Arizona. This is Buckeye Talk West. We're here at the Fiesta Bowl. Doug Marie. sorry Wasserman, Bill Landis. We're huddled around an ottoman in a hotel room to do this podcast. We're going to do a podcast every day. We're out here, so it's Monday night, December twenty sixth. We just saw Ohio State get off the plane. We want to talk about that. We're going to get to something else. We're going to talk about it with head coaches and whether Urban Meyer has so much it that you should pick Ohio State in this game just based on him, or whether Dabo has enough it of his own that he can go head-to-head with Urban Meyer. We want to talk about the head coaches, the best head coaches in college football, and what makes them great, and we think it's it, and their own versions of having it. But first, Bill and Ari, we just were on a tarmac. There was a mariachi band there. For some reason, bowl games love to have pseudo— that's not even pseudo. They're not. It's like fake culture. If you go to New Orleans, it has to be like a Dixieland jazz band yeah. greeting players coming off the plane. In Arizona, it's always a mariachi band. Where do they play at the Rose Bowl? Is it like house music when you come up? <laughs> like a DJ yeah. To yeah. Hand
1: people drugs? <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding.
0: Uh, um, shout out to the Rose Bowl. Um, so <laughs> break it down for the people. Let them in on the scene where we just watched Clemson and Ohio State. Disembark from giant planes on Monday night. Just so
1: you guys know, I grew up here, and this is my city. This is my childhood. This is where I'm from. And mariachi music had nothing to do with my growing up. <laughs> I, I don't know what... That's not Phoenix. That's more of a Mexican thing. And I think it's cool, but like... Yeah, it's like, I don't have a strong connection or a background having grown up here my entire life. And I think it's music. like the people... Like, and I don't, I'm not
2: from here, but the, like, largely the people who are from here aren't actually from here. Like there's no, is there a culture? There in are Phoenix? more people from
1: Ohio in Phoenix than people from Phoenix. Yeah, or it's in like Phoenix yeah, so. forced, forcing culture that doesn't
2: exist on but, you. But there it is. There were also it was mariachi music. Then they play like a they cover like of Neil like, Diamond
1: song. <laughs> <laughs> they actually had really good voices though, so yeah, I'll give no, it No, they that. were the band was good. That's yeah. the same thing every year at the tarmac. You know, you got a little buffet there. You have rich people who I don't know who like how they get tickets or whatever, but. They get off the airplane, people cheer, then the the players walk off onto the tarmac, they go straight to the buses, then a head coach walks off the plane and into the white tent where all the drinks and the food and people are, and has a press conference, and that's like the only press conference, I think, any year where fans can be standing there. It's the only press conference that involves a round of applause. So, you guys are cheering for, (laughs) welcome to Phoenix, but, um... You know, there's a five minute news conference and one of the interesting things in the five minute news conference before they left to do whatever they do was before, when we were in Columbus, after they announced that they were in the playoff, the discussion was how much can a team transform? And I wrote about this in a one month period or a three week period and Ohio State's passing game has been really the focus of what Ohio State has issues with, right? And Urban Meyer was asked about how the passing game progressed today. Uh... When they landed on, what's today, Monday? It is Monday, yeah. And he said it's not fair to put the only thing that has to be good on the passing game for them to win this game. So the discussion I think we want to have is, outside of the passing game, which I think we all agree has to be better if they want to beat Clemson, what else does Ohio State have to be better at to beat Clemson that might have been overshadowed by a lack of an apparent passing
0: game? The the thing that's interesting, though, is that I think when we say passing game, we mean quarterback- receivers, offensive line and pass protection, right. which is basically, basically the every- whole offense in that facet of the game. So I don't think any of us were saying for instance, "Oh, it's just JT Barrett." You know, so like we were talking about what other groups? Well, the offensive line. Well, when we talk pass game, Isaiah Prince and Michael Jordan and everybody blocking pass rushers, that's a huge part and he always says, of the passing game. Nine units strong, there are three units involved in that. I think it can
1: be confusing. The passing game isn't a unit. The receivers, the offensive line, and the quarterback are three different units. Right.
2: Yeah, I think it's I – w- I don't want to exclude the offensive line from this because I think that's, like, the most glaring thing they had to work on. And we saw Christian Wilkins, Clemson's All-American defensive end, was one of the two Clemson players who <laughs> spoke at the airport today. And he walked through the media tent, and he does not look like a defensive end. And I forget the word that Urban Meyer used to describe him. Did he say freak? Was that the word? If he did, it's not interesting. But he walked right by us. He's and 300 and whatever pounds. Man. He looks like Vince Wilfork, and he plays defensive end, and he's fast. And he walked through the tent, and I thought, like, how the heck is Isaiah Prince, who's had struggles this year, like going to deal with that guy? And it's not just him. Like, How is Ohio State going to plan to stop that guy? Because that guy looked in a suit and tie. Like an absolute monster. And Ohio
1: State knows better than anybody with what they had with Joey Bosa for the past few years, how much one player at that position can alter the entire flow of an offense, especially when that's the whole thing Ohio State's really been struggling with offensively all year. And I I think that part of it, too, is not getting the ball to their best player enough. And I think part of it's lack of separation. But if you can't block that guy, how much better can Ohio
0: State's offense possibly be from a passing standpoint if that guy runs loose? You know what I'm curious about is – if we saw this Ohio State obviously have seen this on film for the past month right? What if Ohio State realizes like we're not going to block that guy so since we aren't going to block him, this is what we're gonna do and not that like- we, not that we're not going to try to block him so I'll be very curious with a month prep. Do we see JT Barrett get the ball out much more quickly? It's like why screens should be a pretty big element. Do we see JT be even more decisive in the run game? If you see him coming, go. Don't think. Yeah. Or do – like I think maybe maybe the idea is that we can't block him. So what's plan B? And maybe they've Plan B'd for a month. And like you said, Ari, maybe it's throw into Curtis Samuel out of the backfield more. Maybe it's – Marcus Baugh's going to catch nine passes. You know, Couldn't they find answers that don't involve having to block and, that and guy? What's interesting to me, too, is that the
1: remedies for not being able to block somebody are also the solutions to some of the problems they were already having. Does that make sense? Where if you have to get the ball out faster, you have to make decisions quicker, you have to be more assertive in the run game. Those are all things that we have criticized Ohio State for not being able to do because they just couldn't do it. So if JT Barrett has no other choice but to be more assertive with this decision-making, and that could be a solution. And, you know, we're doing the whole blessing in disguise thing. It's not a blessing in disguise thing, but if the game plan is throw the ball faster and don't hold it, that solves the problem of he's holding it too
0: long. He got sacked eight times against Michigan, right? Is that right? Eight. Yeah. So the answer is, JT, there have been times when you've hesitated this year. If you hesitate against Clemson, you are going to get sacked. So don't hesitate. Like, hesitating is off the table. It's not an option because we guarantee you he's going to be in the backfield. I think that that could, again, not that you would wish for it, but they might have worked really hard on an answer to, for that that leads to a more And I'm going to
1: drop a bomb on you guys. Mm-hmm. You ready for this? You haven't even eaten yet. Yeah. Chick-fil-A is coming up pretty soon. Um, Ohio State has a better chance of winning if and you, and you one of these two things has to happen. JT throws
0: two picks or he's sacked eight times? <laughs> two picks. Two picks, right? They yeah. turned it over against Oregon four times in the national title game two years ago. If the defense was is a strength of the team, they're they're like, it's like, but like right? Two picks. Yeah. No, I, I, would, I would take two momentary JT Barrett mistakes over a consistent getting – Having the defensive line in your backfield and you not having an answer for it for four quarters.
2: Yeah, because eight sacks means and it's, eight sacks it. means a cautious J.T. Barrett in my mind. And I mean, two they, picks means a different kind of J.T. Barrett than we've cause seen. Because they did not
1: beat Michigan having been sacked eight times, so it can be done. But I rewatched the Michigan game and I still have no idea how they won that football game. Wilton Spate threw balls to Malik Hooker and Jerome Baker, and they fumbled it on their two-yard line. Yeah going in for a touchdown. So they got a few
0: gifts in that game, and I don't think that they can win two games in a row like that. And they did – maybe this is a story this week. I mean, in the end, I still – and I haven't rewatched it, so I don't know. How did Ohio State do nothing offensively the whole game and then put together two drives at the end of the game when they actually had to have them? JT started running, and I asked them, and it's
2: like an obvious thing. It's not an original idea, but like he throws better when he starts running, and he had like that 40-yard run, and then he started zipping the ball a little bit. But even after, like it still – it wasn't great passing. It was just – more decisive, if that makes sense. Like Again, when he had to throw in a tight windows, he did it. And like, he made some tough throws, like,
1: extend drives, and he ran better. And th- you Michigan know had like 13 points through three quarters when they
0: probably should have had 28. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, I think there's something to the idea of they don't even have to throw it well. They just have to throw it. Yeah. Like, you don't have to complete every pass, but if you just throw in rhythm or let the ball go and do the things – I think you could get the offense in a rhythm even without completing every pass, if you know what I mean. Just the, sort of do what you're supposed to do. Run your route. Make your throw. If they knock that, knock it down, so be it. But maybe you get yourself into a flow anyway. Um, okay. Yeah. Someone suggested, uh, a, a National College football analyst, I think this week, suggested that Clemson may be the better team, but he's not going to pick against Urban Meyer in the college football playoff. Um, just as a, we don't have to reveal anything, have you guys made your mind up yet on who you're picking in this game? I have not. I no. have not either. I have not either. And it's because <clears> we <throat> think it's close enough that it could. we all think it could go either way still, right? Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Very fair. If I pick Ohio State, it's not going to be because I think Urban Meyer is a better coach than Dabo Sweeney. And so I disagree with the thinking of Clemson has better players, but I'm taking Urban Meyer um, because, and it's not that Urban Meyer isn't a good coach. He absolutely is. But I think Ohio state is playing a program in this game that has a coach with it in quotation marks, it just like Urban Meyer clearly has it. Do you guys agree with that? And from your brief, encounter with Dabo getting off the plane and Ari, what we saw from him three years ago in the Orange Bowl, does this seem like a kind of coach who's not just a guy who's leading the team with some good players, but is also that kind of coach that can help get a program over the top because of who he is and how he does his business? The idea of not wanting to pick against Urban Meyer with three weeks to
1: prepare would make sense because he is one of the best... Yeah. Coaches in college football. So I get that sentiment. But I think taking that approach removes any thought or respect for the guy he's facing. And I think that's the entire point And the reason why we've come to the solution to have this podcast is because Dabo's, you know, made an interesting progression as a head coach the last few years, because remember, it hasn't been so that long since Clemsoning was a thing. And, you know, now he's getting off an airplane in a second playoff appearance and hoping to get to a second consecutive na- national championship game, and he's making jokes, and he's got a personality. He's built the program. He's convinced very highly rated players to come to Clemson, and Clemson is a legit program in the sense that Ohio State is. They're, like, on the same level. I think Ohio State's a, a step or two ahead, but it's it's kind of an evil, even playing field right now. And, you know, obviously Urban Meyer has done more than Dabo did, but Dabo is still kind of getting his program going. And, um, you know, I just – I don't want to remove the examination of this game from a coaching standpoint and then not give Dabo his his due because he clearly has quotation marks it. How much of, like, the, like, the aura that a coach gives off,
2: like, does it play into that at all for you? Because it did for like – I think you try to read people and part of the reason why I have not made up my mind yet as to who's going to win this game is because I want to talk to people this week and try to get a vibe for where they're at mentally maybe. And like Dabo Swinney stepped off the plane, he went to that press conference, and it didn't seem like the moment was overwhelming for him in any sense of the word. He's been through this once before, so I'm sure that helps. But I think you can get a vibe from coaches sometimes where like, "Eh, this guy doesn't quite know how to handle this. This being the attention, um, the the heightened moment of, of playing in a playoff or playing in a major game, whatever it is. And I think back to 2014, like, when Mark Helfrich, that guy to me just didn't quite have that kind of aura that he gave off. And, like, and never did it once cross my mind that, like, Mark Helfrich is going to be the guy that, like, out-whatever is Urban Meyer. Like, out-maneuvers, out-schemes him, out-motivates his players better than Urban Meyer. Like, I didn't get that vibe from Mark Helfrich. Certainly you get it from Nick Saban. I wonder if people who were in Atlanta today when Washington got, got there got that vibe from Chris Peterson because I think he has a little bit of that too. And Dabo Swinney has a lot of that in my what mind. What
1: I think is interesting is if somebody would have made that comment before the Orange Bowl,
0: I might have bought it, right? Because that was before – That Urban – at the end of the 2013 season, Ohio State's <sighs> playing Clemson and Urban Meyer's going to outcoach Dabo and that's why Ohio State's going to win.
1: Three years later – After Dabo already beat Urban in a bowl game and has got the quarterback that Urban Meyer really, really wanted on his own team, has already been to a national championship game, almost
0: beat Alabama, is now back in the playoff again, I don't think that that makes sense. And like you guys were saying, you know, Ohio State played Helfrich and Oregon in the national title game two years ago, and from your brief impression of Mark Helfrich for that game, if I would have said to you, that guy's going to be fired in two years. You guys would not have been shocked by that, right? This no. Oregon was in a national title game with the Heisman Trophy winner. And the idea of that guy and that guy's not going to make it would have made sense to you just based off the outsider's view of whether he has it or not.
2: Yeah, and it's not about – like Mark Helfrich might be a fine football coach. Like he was instrumental in helping Chip Kelly with that offense before he became the head coach. But I think there's a little something extra that you need personality-wise, whatever – to coach at this level, to be successful at this level, not just get there once and lose, and then never get there again, but to consistently coach at this level. And Doug, everybody's hit's different, right?
0: Yeah, everyone has their own it, for sure. Jim Trestle was the...
1: You covered him for a decade. I mean, you know. I mean, he... Jim Trestle
0: uh, made your mom feel very comfortable about her son going off to play for him, and made you feel like that guy, that your coach loved you and cared about what happened in your life. And from Terrell Pryor to James Laurinaitis to Maurice Claret to Malcolm Jenkins to all the great talent that they had here, they all thought that about Jim Trestle.
1: So this is going to be an interesting question because I think we all have very strong opinions, I think, about who has it and who doesn't across the landscape of college football and even who has had it in the past. And I think the best example of... It, it is what Pete Carroll had at USC in the early 2000s. But before we talk about some of the other coaches, I think it would be interesting because I've thought about this and I have an answer. What do you think Urban Meyer's
0: it is? Urban Meyer is the coolest guy in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Urban Meyer, when you're at a party and Urban Meyer walks in in his white windbreaker <laughs> with that little smile on his face. You look over and you think, gosh, that guy's pretty cool. And your wife looks over and thinks, man, I wish I was with that guy instead of with the, the guy I'm with. And I didn't know Urban Meyer when he was in his 30s and a head coach for the first time, but I'm going to guess he had that at Bowling Green just like he has it now. He had that sweet
2: mustache when he was at Cincinnati. Is that your do you, Is that your thing? Yeah, he's just like he's cool. Like, and it's, it's, it's weird because he's like just the a- – He's a 50-year-old father of three who, like... Grandfather. Grandfather <laughs> now, and it's like, how can that guy be cool? And it's just like, well, he has rings, and that helps. <laughs> Same reason Nick Saban can be cool in his own way, but yes. I think Urban Meyer very much gives off an aura of, I am the coolest guy in this room. That's I,
0: not what I was going to say. But, but I actually think Urban's much cooler than Nick Saban. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah what were you going to say? Nick Saban likes oatmeal,
1: bean pines, though, so that's a pretty good Who doesn't, one. though? Nobody. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. But he's the, he's the man with them. I don't know, and I don't know if I'm just crazy. Doug rolls his eyes at me all the time when I say stuff like this. But I kind of feel like there is something about Urban Meyer, which is probably true with all really good football coaches. But I feel like when he's in the room, and I do a lot of recruiting coverage and I talk to kids and stuff, I think there is an inherent thing about him. And maybe it's an intensity that you get from accomplishing such great things at such a high level. But I think when Urban Meyer is in a room, he lets off a – vibe that makes people for whatever reason feel like they have to be at their best and I don't know if that's intimidating I don't know if that's just you know what a winning football coach does but when recruits see him in a room they they sit up Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like media members are afraid to ask questions the wrong way and he hasn't had one outburst toward a media member in my five years on since he's been here but for whatever reason people want to be at their best when he is in the room and I don't know if you guys buy that or not, but I think there is something to that where if you're in a team meeting or he walks by you during a drill in practice or he walks into an in-home visit during a recruiting meeting, to have that kind of power or that aura about you I think is a very powerful thing. And if people always want to, I don't know, please you or do things to make sure that you – and we were talking about this at the on the tarmac. It's a lot different to be an assistant coach under Urban than it is to be an assistant coach on a lot of people, and I think that's part of it.
0: I don't know. I don't know if you buy that. I I think there is something to that. Definitely. I I definitely know what you're saying. And I think there's something to the idea of, I don't even know. Maybe you have a better handle on this from the recruiting standpoint. It feels less like urban is trying to persuade you to come to Ohio state and more saying like challenging you of like, we're great. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you can cut it. We're going to be great. Whether you come or not, if you want to be great, you're invited but we're who we are. Right. We're not really asking you to come. We're inviting you to come. And and that you then want to live up to the standard that he has set for the program and also live up, like you said, he, you want to be great to live up to, to him.
1: And then when you get here, it carries over to what you do in, in your practice. And it's... It's almost like the second you commit to Ohio State, it's like you're on a mission to prove you were great. And I think that that's a real thing. I do. I really do. Yeah, and I think that I, I didn't – And you to go back to the point of
2: like your it in quotation marks being mm-hmm. different, I don't think that like Dabo quite gives that off. And we, we're we not around Clemson every day, so maybe he yeah. does. But just like it's we were in a tent <clears throat> on a tarmac with the man for eight minutes today and we're judging his entire coaching style off that. But he, to me, is very much like – and I feel like Tom Herman has a little bit of this too. It's like the love em up kind of attitude. It's like He's more trustful than he is Urban I, think. I trust yeah, like I don't care like what your standing is on this team, like we're all a family. And that I think there's value in that too. It's so maybe not quite the way Urban Meyer does it, but it can be effective. And I think and it like, has been effective. And both
1: things I think can can work. Yeah. Urban Meyer ranks who's cleans their shoes the best way. You know what I mean? And there's you know, there's rankings on everything that you do at Ohio State, and that's part of the competition. And I mean he's already talked about it, always talked about it. Competition is what we do, whether we're in practice or we're playing Papa Shot in the game room. Um, but I don't know. I think it's cool that and Urban Meyer's dance in the locker room a little bit too. But I feel like Urban Meyer is more of an intimidating. Let's do what we can to impress him and prove him that we're good enough. And Dabo is more like
0: one of the boys. Yeah. Um. So to we can expand back out again before we get out of here and talk about some other coaches with it. I especially want to hit the guys in the Big Ten. Um, but what about Urban Meyer would make you say that if we're saying we, you shouldn't pick Ohio State just because of Urban Meyer, because we think Dabo's good too. I will say the thing that I think Urban Meyer does best in this situation is I think he is as good as there is at motivating college football players for a month and keeping them on track but loose, keeping them on edge, that they don't get bored, I don't think he's going to scheme something up. I mean, he's an offensive innovator. He helped bring about the spread offense and has been incredibly successful with that. But I don't think he's going to scheme something up that he's going to X and O Ohio State to a win over Clemson by changing the offense or integrating some different looks or whatever that that's going to win the game. I think it may be that somehow I think the thing he does best is he recruits the best players the most talented players has the best team and somehow over a month manages to get them to believe that they're the underdog and that it's so ohio- hot the thing that has that has emerged the past couple of years here that drives doesn't drive me crazy i find the strangest thing is like the ohio against the world thing it's everybody loves you nobody's against you you're ohio state you're gigantic you have a huge tradition you have all the best players you have the coolest uniforms Who's who's the world? Everybody wants to be you. It's not you against the world. You are Ohio State, but somehow Urban Meyer keeps them on edge and thinks that – Now, they want to beat you because you're the best, but they don't hate you. You're not like the evil empire. You're the the best, so it's not Ohio against the world. You're taking over the world. I think it
1: goes a little bit further than that. I think people try to play up like this underdog thing with them. That's like, you guys, people out there don't believe in you in here. Right. That happen- Like It's like, I see what you're saying with the Evil Empire. I think the thing that's most curious is everybody and all the critics. Yeah. The critics. Still. They uh-huh. literally
0: win every game. <laughs> you went, in 2015, you were the first pre- unanimous preseason number one in the history of the AP poll. Literally everybody thought you were the best team in the country. Somebody
1: asked at media day for this bowl game. Mike Weber, and I don't know if you guys are standing there, and I've never seen that person before, and I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. But somebody asked Mike Weber, do you guys take all the disrespect of people who don't think you can do it and, like, really use that as motivation? And I was thinking to myself, name one person. <laughs> and, like, Mike Weber's like, you know, we just – we embrace the underdog role. I'm like, what the hell are we talking about here? Well, I think people – They're favorites.
2: Would- I think people – I guarantee you there are people listening to this right now who the answer to their question is us. Like the three of us, in the way that we
1: cover the team, are the are the quote unquote doubters. I did get into an argument with another reporter on the tarmac today. Really? About I said they almost lost four of their last seven games, and he said those were all two very good teams. After he said Clemson almost lost a few games, and I found that to be very
0: Michigan inconsistent. State was three and nine, yeah.
1: Michigan State, Northwestern. I don't know, were very good teams, but. Anyway, it was, I don't think that you can say, and we're going off on a tangent, that Clemson struggled with a bunch of games, and they barely won. In their, and then, like, Ohio State's going to be the favorite in this game because they they struggled to. So that's all my point was. Um, and I think that we are, at times, critical. I don't think we're negative. I think there's a difference. I think we're very critical of a program that is very successful, and it's hard to be critical. I think we try to be realists about things. And I think a lot of times we're wrong, um, but I don't think that um, – we're critics against that the world needs to be against.
0: So um, we don't know who we're going to pick. We think there are two great coaches in this game. Do you guys agree with me on the urban motivation thing? Do you think that yeah, is? I do. Maybe even his though it greatest seems corny strength? sometimes, right? Like the, the again the, the famous story of him making up quotes before the Florida Ohio State national championship game ten years ago. And like getting Florida wound up to the point – because I do think – I mean in retrospect, I think Ohio State, for lack of a better phrase, like sort of got fat and lazy in that that layoff because they thought they were going to win. They thought they were the best team. And like I don't think – I think Urban Meyer – now Ur, they came into the playoff two years ago as the number four seed. So going into that Bama game, he had that underdog role mm-hmm. that was legit because nobody thought they were going to win then. They're the three seed now, but they're the only program that anybody thinks can beat Alabama. And as I wrote this week, and I believe it, if Ohio State wins the national championship, they are the new number one program in college football. That's what they're playing for here, because they would have won two of the last three. They would have beaten Alabama head to head twice, assuming Washington doesn't beat Bama. They dominated the NFL draft last year. They they're gonna have either the number one or number two recruiting class, recruiting class this year, but they're even basically with Alabama in recruiting. Like that's who they are now. Um So the underdog thing doesn't make sense. Who else has it? Who else has it? We want to keep these podcasts to about thirty minutes while we're doing these uh, one a day each of these um, weeks, these days while we're here. So again, we're doing this Monday night. We'll do them Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, Thursday afternoon, Friday afternoon, and then the games on Saturday. You could have just
1: said every afternoon. That would have taken five seconds off it. <laughs> and then I extended you know, it. By
0: you, know, you know what I noticed the other day? What accent is this? I was talking to somebody over break, and instead of Monday, they said Monday. Yeah, I've Monday? heard that too. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that too. I don't know what is that East? Is that what accent is that? That who says? are you talking to? My aunt. And where's your aunt from? Pennsylvania. But you're not the yeah. first
1: person that's heard that. I've heard
0: that. Like you've heard that, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Monday,
0: Tuesday. We Tuesday, also did Wednesday, see a cowboy Tuesday,
1: like wearing complete cowboy uniform walking around the hotel today so he's carrying a firearm. Um, <laughs> he's
0: not he gun, it's firearm. Okay, so he get here on his horse? Urban Meyer has it in the Big Ten. Does Jim Harbaugh have it?
1: Yeah. Clearly in his own Des- weird way. Describe
0: it is. is it. We're gonna play thirty second describe <laughs> is it one word.
1: One word? Yeah. Awkward. Awkward.
2: I would say like uh, a little charismatic too. <laughs>
0: But I think he uses he's a brilliant he's he's a genius actually. Yeah. He is weird and awkward and gets people to think he's weird and awkward, and then he says, I don't then he plays the critic game. He really brings out the critics yeah. because he does enough weird stuff to make people think he's weird and dislike him. And then he says, I don't care what anybody else thinks, I'm gonna attack the day with enthusiasm unknown to mankind. Who's with me? And his players say, hell, we're with you, man. Like, you might be weird, but you're our weird guy. And he, uh, it's really that he can be that unique of a personality. And it is not off-putting to high school kids or his players. They love him for it.
1: uh, One thing I want to know is, like, you hear all the stories about climbing trees. I'm sleeping over milk. I don't need to list all the things off. I want to watch him pitch Michigan to a recruit. I would kill to just hear how like he approaches. What he's like in a room? Yeah. Yeah. I know what Urban Meyer does. You want to win a national title? Come play for us, right? I want to know, like, does Jim Harbaugh talk about like cartoons? Like he could—I mean, like literally—what is he talking about? That's the one thing that's so fascinating to me because I think that all of us have had limited interaction with him, but we've had enough interaction
0: with him to know that he is strange. And, and but I do think I think he sells his own version of authenticity, you know. And I do think he has the extra thing. He recruits differently at Michigan than he would than he recruited at Stanford yeah. because he's the ultimate Michigan man, and he'll sell that university and the yeah. whole program and the whole history too. And you I know, wish I would have
1: like I was like I don't ever Jim I, the way I see Jim Harbaugh now. I never noticed when he was at Stanford and with the 49ers. I didn't know that this human existed. Right. I don't know if you guys are the same way, but like when he got to Michigan and started acting like this. I didn't think, oh, that's Jim Harbaugh for you. I'm like, who is this person? Right. It seemed like he kind of changed a little bit. I think there's something to
2: to the authenticity is the word that you use, Doug, and I like that. And, like, I think often it's hard. and Like, guys like Nick Saban and Urban Meyer, because they are so successful and do it year in and year out and, like, have this method, like, sometimes there's, like, a robotic kind of factor to that. And you wonder, like, how much personality is involved in what in, in their success. And I think there's something endearing about Jim Harbaugh not caring about his perception as a weirdo and going into a living room and someone like actually appreciating that.
0: And you know what I think he also, he loves football. He yeah. talks about that a lot. So if you love football, then he loves you because you speak the same language. Uh, Mark D'Antonio. Describe Mark D'Antonio's it.
2: Uh, Mark D'Antonio, like, like Urban Meyer being the ultimate motivator in times like this, I think Mark D'Antonio could be undefeated number one team in the country and still find a way to have his team think that they're like terrible and the worst team in the country and everyone thinks they're going to lose even if they were 13-0 and going into a college football playoff. He is the ultimate underdog at all times of his life, I think.
0: I think
1: he's an old-school hard-ass.
0: Yeah. Certainly a huge toughness factor, I think, involved mm-hmm. there um, with their style of play. Like I said, I think he's just a fascinating thing because he has a lot of trestle in him. But there's a tough, there's more of an edge than with Trestle. And the thing I like about D'Antonio, he's a hard ass with an edge and an underdog, and nobody's going to be tougher than us. And then on fourth and 12, he runs a trick play that nobody would have the guts to run. And I love that spin on it because it's not three yards in a cloud of dust. Don't put our defense in a bad position. It's tough, hard nosed. And then we're gonna roll the dice like nobody's business. I also
1: am not sure. I completely agree with you that he has it permanently. Is that crazy? No. uh, I I I,
0: yeah. I mean, I see what I'm saying. Like, I mean, he's won like eleven games, like five of the last seven years or whatever it is. Yeah. But you think it could go away? I think
1: it's possible that Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State can't all be good at the same time, even though they all kind of recruit different players in a different way. And they are in the same division. They all play each other, and I think that he has the least amount of it out of the three that we just discussed between Urban, Jim Harbaugh, and him. And I think that that could hurt
0: Michigan State in the long run. I think he appeals to a certain kind of kid, though, who maybe—and um, I don't. This might not be the the right word, but if Jim Harbaugh is too weird, that is the right word. And if Urban Meyer is too slick for you, Mark Dantonio might be exactly who you're yeah. looking for.
1: And that's he's got not to beat. In, them. That's got not to, in a bad
0: way. But he's got to beat these guys head to head in recruiting. Using that same exact No, thing. but he but he's not trying to in recruiting. I mean, it's it's more than I think it's the program identity more than just recruiting.
1: I I agree with that. But when you say he's the guy for you, then I
0: feel like that implies recruiting, right? Well, I mean I mean, but you've written about this a million times. I mean, like, he's not trying to win by beating Ohio State and Michigan for recruits head to head. He's winning by taking the three stars that they don't take, and then developing them and having a program identity. So,
1: so the one thing I am confused about, I'm not trying to disagree with you, is then why is he there? Like, then why is it relevant that he would be your guy over the other two when they're not going against the same
0: kid? Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, I guess so. But I do think I still think that there <laughs> could be some kids who would want that.
1: And I'm not saying he's so, never beat them. He, I mean, Michigan State has gotten kids. It's just fascinating to me that like. It sounds to me that you think the three programs could be good at the same time.
0: Well, but I don't want this to turn into a recruiting discussion. I don't. I don't think it is really a recruiting discussion. I think it's more the program identity and the. Um, He's made Michigan is State part of
1: it. He's made Michigan State a thing, and we talked about it. Michigan State is a national brand to a
0: certain extent when it wasn't. Yes, and I think that is it. Yeah. Okay, next guy. James Franklin at Penn State. Th- it or not, and if he has it, what is it?
2: I, uh, I think I'm going to reserve my opinion a little bit because I, I didn't think he had it at all, like even midway through this season. And I think maybe I'm wrong on that. And I want to I see what happens when he takes his program, puts it on a national stage because he beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship. It was a great win. He beat Ohio State uh, in a weird game. I don't know if that's indicative of what's going to happen in the future or if he just had two really good nights and got two huge season-altering wins, but in reality, he's the guy who previously at
1: both stops he was at could not win that kind of game. I thought he had it when he was hired, and I wrote a story about how he was going to be like the Urban Meyer light version. Then I thought I was really wrong for thinking that, and then they beat Ohio State and won the Big Ten. And I think he has it.
0: And I think the word is charisma. I think he's been burdened a little bit by the whole Penn state thing. Guys who cover Penn state that I respect seem to think that he has done most talking about David Jones at Penn live.com and uh, Bob Flounders guy who cover guys who cover Penn state there. I think they feel like he has done as good of a job as you could do at Penn state under the circumstances. And that a lot of coaches might've been buried by all that's happened. Um, and that part of what got them through was sort of like his unyielding sunniness and his complete belief in himself and what he was doing and that unwavering attitude that if you would have stopped and questioned yourself at all, you might have been buried by all this. And it might have seemed a little bit like a used car salesman in the moment, but it actually might have been the best thing to get them through it. And now if they're coming out the other side of it, they might have something there. Um you got to win and all this stuff. If, if you don't win, you don't have it. You know? Yeah, it's, tight, it's tight. I mean, It it's is like, only it when you have wins. But I think maybe if they're coming out the other side of this, he might be able to keep this rolling a little bit because he might have something there. Yeah, he felt a
2: little inauthentic to me in the beginning. And now I, I think I was wrong. But I'm so curious to see what they do against USC.
0: All right. Um, Chris Ash. Chris Ash Maybe, but you have to do something other than copy everything Urban Meyer does. So I'm going to reserve judgment on it. I'm not a hundred percent sure uh, because so far it looks like taking the Ohio State playbook wholesale, and by playbook I mean playbook for a program. And that you have to have something beyond that.
2: Yeah. I agree. I think he needs a blend. I think I think he could be more of a D'Antonio, and that he should just stop trying to copy over Meyer and then start copying ah. D'Antonio. But I think a blend somewhere in the middle of that could be Chris Asher's sweet spot. Um,
0: I think, I think you can get in very dangerous territory by trying to copy urban Meyer too much. Yeah. Because as we said, urban has something in there. If you can't put on a white windbreaker and walk into a room and have everybody turn their head, you got to try something else. Um, Which is why Bill Landis could do it because Bill Landis, you put this guy in a white windbreaker, he'll melt your heart. I'm actually not allowed to wear one in 35 states. (laughs) I've seen this guy in a suit. Okay. We're going to do a podcast every day. We're going to try to get him up in the afternoon um, after this. This, again, was Monday night. We just got here. We are in Scottsdale, Arizona. We have Ohio State interviews on Tuesday morning. We will be bringing you stuff at cleveland.com slash OSU stories, video, all kinds of stuff, and then we'll drop the podcast. I think on Tuesday we get the Clemson offensive players. Other way around. On Tuesday we get the Ohio State offensive players and the Clemson defensive players. So JT Barrett, Billy Price, Pat Elfline, guys Curtis Samuel coming tomorrow. Um, Clemson defenders like Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins, Ben Boulware, I'm assuming. Um, That cornerback, what's his name?
2: Dre Tankersley.
0: So – Stick with us all week. This is the place to be all week, all week, all week. Subscribe on iTunes. If you don't have an iPhone, subscribe on Stitch Tickler. St- What's it called? Stitcher. Stitcher. <laughs> subscribe on Stitcher or just go to slash OSU and we'll set you up on SoundCloud. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reading. Thank you for uh, sticking with us this whole season again, all week, live from Arizona. It'll be Ari Wasserman, it'll be Landis. Comma Bill. (laughs) It'll be (laughs) Doug LaMaurice. Thanks for listening. That was Buckeye Talk.